What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of B Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you, and we're talking about another Cardinals win. It's the evening hours of Sunday, August 21st, 2022. Not even the late evening hours. It's it's almost 8 o'clock, which is probably the earliest start time for a recording of one of these. But my wife said, well, hey, you're not doing anything but sitting on the couch. Why don't you get started now and you can go to bed at a normal time? And I thought, well, that that's too simple. But you're probably right, so let's get to it. And that's why we're here. Cardinals with uh, another interesting win over the Diamondbacks on Sunday. It didn't go exactly maybe the way Jose Quintana had plotted it out in his mind. His worst start as a Cardinal for sure. As the D-backs lineup put some good swings on him on Sunday. We'll break down his outing a little bit. But it was the story of the bullpen coming in to save the day for the Cardinals pitching-wise as we got... Well, we saw a lot of scoreless innings today from the Cardinals relief core. After Quintana didn't make it out of the third inning, everybody after that found a way to keep it scoreless. So we'll talk about the relievers who stepped in and stepped up for the Cardinals on Sunday. And we'll also get into the offense that came through for the Cardinals in the clutch in a 6-4 to win over the Diamondbacks on Sunday as several of these young guys just continue to get the job done. It's like a broken record on B-Shafe Daily when we're talking about the Lars Newtbars of the world, the Brendan Donovans of the world. We got to see those guys at number one and number two in the Cardinals batting order. They come through once again. What do we like about that look atop the Cardinals lineup against right-handed pitching? It was Merrill Kelly on the mound for the Diamondbacks. I believe he was an all-star this season. Right-hander has carved out a pretty nice career for himself. 10-5 and five with a 2.87 ERA this season. That's after... Six innings, allowing just three runs, a quality start for Kelly. He did walk three. The Cardinals got seven hits off him, but were just able to, with those 10 base runners against Kelly, come up with three runs. But you had it starting off the top with Lars Newpar. So we'll get into all of that and how the Cardinals' offense performed. And, of course, Albert Pujols played a part in that. Paul Goldschmidt doesn't he always. And Nolan Arenado keeps hitting the ball very well, of course. So we'll run down the happenings from the game offensively, and we'll make a quick note as well of Yadier Molina. Update on him, I think with a photo that was posted by the Twitter account of Yadier Molina's basketball team that he owns in Puerto Rico, we have some idea what he was up to on Saturday night. So we'll get into all that and more on this episode of B-Shape Daily. But before we get into the content of the show, I want to remind you real quick that you can and should, I definitely recommend it, Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can make sure that way you don't miss any of the future episodes of B-Shape Daily as the Cardinals continue their march to the postseason, and we continue to chronicle it right here on the show. You can support the podcast as well in a couple of different ways. One of those ways is to go to my Twitter account, at bshafer12, click on the Money tab, and you can offer your support via Cash App or Venmo, or if you'd like to get a little extra bang for your buck, you can go to patreon.com slash bshafer12. It's just a $5 monthly subscription, and what it entails is some additional blog posts, sort of first-person writing that you wouldn't see from me on KMOV or some of my other professional writing ventures, a little bit more unbuttoned, kind of like the podcast, kind of like my Twitter account. You get those. There's going to be some podcasts moving forward as well on the Patreon account, and for 5 bucks a month, uh, it's a way that you can show your support as well for this podcast, which will remain free. So this is, of course, optional only, but if you'd like to go that route, it uh, would be appreciated as well. Enough of that, though. Let's go ahead and get into the content of the show for this Sunday edition of B-Shape Daily. 6-4, once again, was the score. The Cardinals coming away a winner 
And we'll start with the bad today because I think there was not a whole lot of it, and we can get it out of the way by talking Jose Quintana and then getting to the good stuff. Jose Quintana's been great for the Cardinals since he was acquired. It was a trade deadline deal that sent Quintana from the Pirates to the Cardinals. St. Louis gave up Johan Oviedo as well as Malcolm Nunez in that deal. And for his first three outings with St. Louis, Quintana was nailed. Six innings, one run. Six innings, two runs. Five innings, allowing two runs. His first non-quality start came on August 16th against Colorado at Bush Stadium. You remember that was the game where he had the no-hitter going through five, and then everything sort of unraveled there in the sixth inning. He didn't record an out. But Cardinals still won the game, and he still put together solid numbers. I mean, through three starts, if you just take a look at that small sample size, that's a 2.65 ERA for Jose Quintana. Well, those numbers have obviously decreased in quality, and they've gone up in terms of the ERA after today. But it wasn't all that bad. 2.2 innings, two and two-thirds. He gave up four runs, but only two of them were earned. A throwing error by Brendan Donovan from third base contributed, and that was a, a play that typically you probably see Goldie scoop up. Maybe you don't see Arenado sail the, the low throw. It wasn't sailed, but it was skipped into first base, and he couldn't corral it. So that ends up leading to some more trouble for Quintana. The three walks are where I would say uh, that's problematic. You're going to give up seven hits. Wasn't missing bats as well, so I think that's part of the reason you give up seven hits. But they just put some good balls in play against him. Some of them were some bad luck, but most of them were struck pretty decently. I think with zero strikeouts, you get a sense that the batters for the Diamondbacks were seeing Quintana pretty well in this one. Not the end of the world to have one bad start, especially when the team wins the game. And... That's really the only bad that I have to share from today's game because after that, the bullpen came in and did a marvelous job to keep it right where it was for the Cardinals. And even when they give up those runs, it's still a 4-3 deficit because the Cardinals got off to a strong start offensively with three runs in the first inning. I'll explain a little bit about how that happened when we get into the segment of the show where we talk about the offense. But let's get into the bullpen first because I was impressed by Chris Stratton coming in. We hadn't seen him in a little while, and he ends up going deep. He goes as deep as Quintana did, two and two-thirds innings. Didn't allow a hit. He does walk a couple of batters, but that's a really quality relief of, uh, performance by Stratton. Not really a bridge guy because it only got you through, what, the end of the, the fifth inning? But after that, you were able to concoct something pretty good there with Woodford. Hennessy's Cabrera, good to see him come in and just have a very nondescript outing. No hits, no walks allowed. Just an inning and a third of scoreless zeros across the board. Jake Woodford was good, an inning and a third that preceded Cabrera. And then Gio Gallegos comes in. It's a save situation in the ninth inning because the Cardinals were able to score runs in the seventh and eighth to make it a 6-4 to four game. And he has a very uneventful ninth inning with a strikeout and serving as the closer this weekend in lieu of Ryan Helsley, who has been on the paternity list this weekend. I saw the Cardinals tweet out, the newest Cardinal is here. Meet Eliana Helsley. Congrats to Alex and Ryan. So they're expanding their family, and that's why Ryan's away from the team this weekend on paternity leave. But Gio Gallegos held down the fort, comes up with his 12th save of the season. He's been a closer before, and I know he's had his ups and downs this season, but the 3.11 ERA on the campaign for Gio, it's pretty solid overall. And I think heading into October, that would be a time where you'd love to see him turn out to be another reliable back-end relief arm for the Cardinals when they get into the playoffs. And right now, as we're in late August, he appears to be settling back into that role. So between Stratton, Woodford, Cabrera, and Gallegos, the Cardinals' relief core was able to come up with six and a third innings of scoreless baseball. Only one hit allowed by the entire group and two walks. Both of those charged to Stratton. So 
that's really good stuff. It wasn't, they weren't missing bats all day. Only two strikeouts by the entire pitching staff. And as I mentioned, none of them for Quintana, but they got the job done. Sometimes you're going to give up a, a bulk of hits as Quintana did. And things just started to spiral away from him a little bit. Good job on Ollie Marmel for sort of uh, knowing when to, to pull the plug there. And partially was CB Buckner maybe responsible a little bit for some of the issues that, uh, that were had by Jose Quintana today. Perhaps, Ali Marmel was not a fan of the strike zone, something we probably got to talk about here as well. It's the fact that he got ejected by C.B. Buckner and uh, got his money's worth, as he explained to Jim Hayes on the Bally Sports postgame show. Yeah, I wasn't pleased with it. A um, couple calls there with Quintana, that uh, flipping at bat that uh, didn't go our way, and then the one on um, Nolan, a uh, clear ball. So uh, went out there and got ejected. You get your money's worth when you go out there. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't like the smirk when I got out there. And then he questioned my uh, time in the league. So I returned the favor and questioned his time in the league. Audio there, courtesy of the Bally Sports Midwest Twitter account, as they shared that video on social media earlier today. That's pretty good. And Ollie at the end of that clip where he says, you know, he questioned my time in the league, so I returned the favor and questioned his. He took a sip of his water right at the end. It was like the deal with it dot gif. I need somebody to throw sunglasses on that image of Ollie Marmel because that is fantastic. He has has kind of taken no prisoners this season when it comes to umpiring. When he doesn't like something, he'll definitely say something. And he's gotten ejected a few times because of it. I remember one time at Bush Stadium early in the season, there was a game that, and I forget who the umpire was, but it was pretty bad. And after the post game. Ali, and I don't think he got ejected this game, but regardless, it was a situation where he was doing the post game, and after he finishes up, he's walking back to the clubhouse, and I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was to the effect of, I didn't say out there what I actually wish I had said about the <laughs> about the umpire in that game. So he, he was able to keep it under wraps when it was on the record, and then it was kind of like, yeah, I'm, I noticed everything y'all noticed, and what the hell. So that was pretty good to see uh, behind the scenes a little bit from Ali. Yeah, but he obviously, that's just a, a cheap move, by the way, for the umpire to say, oh, you're a first-year manager. Like, we don't know what he said, but th that he would bring up his lack of experience in terms of managing as justification for why C.B. Buckner could be making bad calls, I that just is a, a logical fallacy that doesn't track for me. And... uh it didn't track for Ali Marmel either, so he made, he made sure to get uh, his thoughts in on the matter, which I thought was fantastic. And obviously, Skip Schumacher, capable bench coach, handling everything, calling the shots. I know Ali from behind the scenes has probably got his finger on the pulse as well. But that was some good, a good little uh, colorful event added to Sunday's win for the Cardinals, six four over the D backs. And let's get into how the offense was able to supply the runs for the Cardinals. It started off with Lars Dupar with a bang. A leadoff home run to begin the game. He was in that leadoff spot again. He has continued to just be an absolute force for the Cardinals offensively. It hasn't mattered whether they've put him ninth in the batting order. It hasn't mattered where whether they've moved him up to the number one spot in the lineup, which has been the case for the most part recently against right-handed pitching. He has been fantastic. Right now, he's on a five-game hitting streak for the Cardinals. And in those five games, he's had two three-hit games and a two-hit game. He's also supplied a couple of home runs now after what he did today and had five RBIs in that stretch coming into today, added the one. Oh, by the way, he also reached base twice via walk in Sunday's win. 
So scored two runs as the leadoff guy for the Cardinals today, on base three times, hits a home run, so he drives himself in and scores, and then he scores another run because he's a table setter, but he's a table setter with power as well. And you look at his numbers for the year, guys, his on base is up to 363 for the season. 363. That's fantastic. And yes, it's been a little cold to start, and then it's really ramped up. But the fact that his overall numbers are where they are right now just speaks to how ridiculously good Lars Nupar has been over the last six weeks or so since he's really started becoming an everyday player. And I talked about it yesterday. There's no reason to believe that Lars Nupar shouldn't be penciled in or he can put it in ink at this point, like if he continues this the rest of the year, as the starting right fielder for 2023. Like there's no reason to discount him the way he's performing. And hell, make him the leadoff man full-time. I don't care. I love what I'm seeing from Lars Nupar right now. Seven homers on the year and 164 at-bats, so you multiply that by three, he could be a 20-home run guy in the big leagues. That's kind of the pace he's on. 20 homers, 81 RBIs, 100 walks, if you if you put that over the course of a full season as well. He's in 244, but that doesn't matter because of the walks that he takes. The fact that he's got 32 walks to 44 strikeouts, that's a pretty solid comparison the plate discipline is really great like again he's going to strike out 125 times over the course of a full season but who doesn't these days in big league baseball and if you're walking as well I don't care if you're hitting 240 if you're on bases 360 we can we can talk that is something that's very workable at the top of any lineup that's the that's the piece the Cardinals have been missing because Dylan Carlson this year and he didn't have a great day today but his OPS down around 300 same thing for Tommy Edmond give or take you need a guy that can be that 350 clip at the leadoff spot. And the Cardinals are getting that right now from Lars Newtbar and then some. And they're also getting that in much more from Brendan Donovan over the course of the season. He does it again today before he was pinch hit for by Albert Pujols, who comes through with a base hit in his one knock, his one opportunity. OPS up to 863 for Albert. It's just ridiculous at this point. Base hit up the middle when he comes in and then Edmund pinch runs for him. And Edmund was able to come through for the Cardinals as well with an RBI hit later on in the game. So he stayed in the game. It's just further example of how good and functional the Cardinals' offensive pieces are right now. I think the Edmundo Sosa trade really clarified this for the team, and I've brought it up before, but he was a glove-first player that wasn't hitting it no matter who you put him against in terms of pitching. And yes, they brought DeYoung back at the same time, and he's been hot and cold. We've seen him go through another recent stretch right now where it's not looking as good for him at the plate. He did go one for three today, though, with a walk. He did strike out out again, but that's that's on base twice from the eight spot in your lineup. You'll take what Paul DeYoung gave the Cardinals today for sure. But I think trading away Sosa just cleared the deck for it becoming obvious that he didn't need playing time. The guys that needed playing time were guys like Brendan Donovan, who they haven't put him at shortstop, but because of the flexibility elsewhere on the roster, they have found ways to get Donovan into the lineup recently at DH. Today it was at third base, and it just it all flows so much better. But offensively, what Brendan Donovan is doing makes me believe he should be an everyday player. I don't care where he plays or how he gets into the lineup, DH or otherwise. I think this guy should be playing five times a week at at a minimum. And his offensive production continues to justify that. 408 is the man's on-base percentage this year as a rookie in 259 at-bats. So he's, he's got even over 300 plate appearances at this point and is getting on base at a 408 clip. That's Gold Schmidian. Nearly. Goldie's at like 421. I guess I should check that exact figure. 422, the on-base for Paul Goldschmidt. He went one for four today with a run scored. Pretty ho-hum. No RBIs, no walks even. I don't really know what he was, why he bothered to show up to the park. He left five on base, too. 
what a way to finish the series in Arizona goalie. It'd be sad if somebody came into the podcast, they went to that exact moment, and that's all they ever heard of me, and they thought I was a Paul Goldschmidt hater. No, the man is the MVP of the National League. Full send, the end. Arenado, a guy who maybe over the last six weeks of the season could have something to say about that, but it's going to take a, a mighty effort by him to, to get there. Two for five today with three runs driven in. Had a big knock that put the Cardinals ahead there late in this game. Seventh inning, cards were down four to three. He comes up with the big base hit to put the Cardinals ahead five to four. They add another run in the eighth inning to make it six to four, and that is your final score. Just really impressive what the Cardinals offense is doing. One through nine. Some days you don't see it from everybody, but on the on the aggregate, you're getting those kinds of big time at bats from somebody on a daily basis right now. Like the Cardinals scattered 12 hits today. It was one of the days where it wasn't just a few guys doing all the the heavy lifting. It was a number of guys throughout the lineup. Arnado chips in. Goldie chips in. Newt and Donovan at the top. I love the look of those guys at 1-2. They end up with three hits and three walks today in, what's that? Math is hard. Eight plate appearances. Newt was retired twice. Donovan wasn't retired at all. They're on base six times in eight plate appearances. That's what table setters do. And if you get, and again, you're not going to get a 750 on base from those two spots in your lineup the rest of the year. That's not realistic. But if you're getting what we've seen from them for the season, Newt Bar 365, Donovan 408. If you're getting a 375 on base from the two guys at the top of your lineup, and then you have Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado batting after that, and you have Albert Pujols batting after that when they face lefties, and you have Gorman batting after that against righties, that is, there aren't many teams that can match that. Like, the Dodgers can probably match that. They have just a wealth of talent. The Atlanta Braves are really good. They've got Austin Riley driving the ship down there. Matt Olson, they lose Freddie Freeman, but they just bring in Olson, and it was a great move for them, and he's having a great year. They bring up these guys like Vaughn Grissom and, and others that Michael Harris, and they just step in, and they're fantastic. The Braves have crazy talent. Credit to them and the, the way they've developed the talent in their system. And credit to them, too, for bringing it up. Like, Vaughn Grissom had barely played a double A, and they said, no, he's ready. That should be what the Cardinals fans are screaming about when it comes to Jordan Walker. Like, I've seen Cardinals fans, after Walker has just continued to be on a tour at pace recently, people are saying, well, why don't they just bring him up? Like, bring him up to the big leagues now. Why not? And I said, ah, no, I don't think so. And people are like, well, why not? I'm like, well, that's a good point. <laughs> I'd love to see him up here, too. But it's just the reason I am hesita- hesitating to say it's possible is because it's just not the way the Cardinals have operated. They do need to bring him up to Memphis, though, like any day now. There's no reason for him to still be a double A. Let's, if, if you want to see him clear that hurdle, like the Braves have done it where they've brought several guys from double A straight to the bigs. If you need to see, as the Cardinals, Jordan Walker clear the hurdle of triple A, like they did it with Dylan Carlson a few years ago. They brought him up just for that September, and that's all he really saw in triple A in his career. He was on the big league club that next summer in 2020. And he did get sent down at times in 2020, but it was to the alternate site. Remember, there was no Memphis that year. I would be totally in favor of seeing Jordan Walker get that promotion anytime now because he's been fantastic this season. And while we're talking about him, let's go ahead and catch up with Jordan Walker on Baseball Reference. 312 batting average this year for Double A. He's been at Springfield the entire season. On base of 395, he's slugging 530. So that power is starting to come around. We've talked about Jordan Walker and saying he's going to grow into his power because he started the season as a 19-year-old. Didn't turn 20 until May. He was already playing in Double A, already getting on base at a high clip. Now we're starting to see the power come a little bit more consistently. Strikeouts are maybe a little bit high, but I don't worry about him at times being overmatched by Double A pitching because. A, most of the time he's not. 
if you look at the 312 average. So he's hitting for batting average, not just for on base, not just for power, but he's doing a little bit of everything right now. 312, 395 on base, and a 530 slug for a 924 OPS, which is right around what, say, Nolan Arenado's OPS is this this season in the big leagues. He's also got 17 steals, which seems like just a good sign for his athleticism, not to say he's going to be a base stealer at the big league level, because a lot of times guys steal in the minors, because why not? Why not get that experience of doing it? But then you get called up. If you're Jordan Walker, you're probably not stealing more than five or 10 bases a season. I could see him being like a Goldschmidt type stolen base guy, though, if he can develop the, the smarts on the base paths, that's possible. But 17 for 22 on steals, 16 home runs, though, with 55 runs driven in. The 27 doubles is the number I circle and italicize and put it in bold because that shows me his power is coming and the home runs are getting there, but he's also a guy that just hits the baseball hard. He's got three triples, too, which is nice. He's just an athletic kid. I don't know if he's sticking at third base. You probably don't want him to necessarily if you've got Nolan Arenado locked up for years to come, which uh, can we laugh about people who worry about Nolan Arenado opting out after this season? Are you kidding me? If somebody were like, it always gets brought up during like the lulls where, where things aren't going so well, but it's a six month season. There are going to be those lulls. Nolan Arenado is not going anywhere. I said it from the very beginning. It, I'm still going to say it until the day that he leaves. And I go, well, I was wrong, but you'll never see it happen. So don't worry about it. But yeah, if you got Nolan, you want Jordan Walker sticking somewhere else. Uh, I've already penciled Lars Newtbar into right field though. So we might have to, <laughs> might have to find somewhere else for Jordan Walker. I don't really know. Uh, not, no, can't go first base. The, Best player in, in the league is is at first base. So Cardinals got to figure it out, but it's a good problem to have, right? It's a good problem to have. The whole deal with uh, with Juan Soto, they didn't end up getting him right, but are you mad looking back? Like, can we re- revisit that? Where are you on that? If it would have cost you Jordan Walker, which probably would have. I mean, look what the Padres ended up giving up to get Soto. Would have cost you Jordan Walker? Would have cost you Dylan Carlson? Which maybe right now people are down on Dylan Carlson, and understandably so. He's not hitting. Uh, he's still a very good defender, but right now 706, the OPS. He just, the hard hit rate does concern me a little bit for what his future looks like. I think it caps his future unless he's able to kind of fix that. He's such an athletic kid. He's such a good baseball player. He's good at everything on the field. But this year, he just hasn't quite been great. And uh, offensively, he's declined a little bit instead of progressing. So that's a little bit of the concern. I will say over the last seven games, Dylan is hitting 333 with an on base of 400, slugging 444. But that slug is kind of low. Again, it's just seven games. But it's been a good stretch of baseball for Dylan, and we haven't seen a whole lot of power. And so maybe he's just eventually going to be capped out as a solid hitter, not a not a great one, maybe not even one you'd classify as very like really really good, just solid. Um, but I think there's still value for that on the Cardinals. He can be the, the the Harrison Bader role. Remember how much we talked about Harrison Bader? All he's got to do is OPS 750, and he's one of the more valuable players in the league. I think Dylan is good enough defensively to where we can make the same claims about him. And if you pair that with power and high upside offense in the corners, which Lars Newpark right now I say is yes. He's he's providing that to be determined if he does it long-term. Uh, left field, Tyler O'Neill obviously capable of providing that. Cardinals, we've talked a whole lot about how the Cardinals need to see more of it from him lately. Today was kind of one of those days, one for five, three strikeouts. So he did get a hit, but it's just kind of been, been a situation where the power has been a little few and far between for O'Neill, and we're still seeing a lot of the strikeouts pile up for him. But if he's able to figure things out in left field, that's your answer, at least for a couple more years. And if not, maybe you figure something out where that's that's Jordan Walker's spot in the future. But I feel like with Dylan Carlson in center and productive hitters at the corners, you you can have lower expectations of Carlson. It's kind of like the way Tommy Edmond could be treated, where he's a great defender, and so people really value him up the middle, even if the OPS right now is below 700. You'd like it to be above 700, but he's still 
rating well in wins above replacement and things of that nature because he, he does bring value in other areas. Definitely on the base paths is another place that Tommy Edmond definitely excels. Um, last year, the, the first Cardinal to steal 30 bases since Edgar Renteria. I just kind of realized that uh, Edmund and Bader had the good stolen base contest going earlier in the year, and I totally forgot about it with Harrison's injury. And now, obviously, that's not something that we'll ever see the uh, the conclusion of because uh, Bader's not on the team anymore. So that I, I, that kind of occurred to me midstream there just a moment ago. But Tommy Edmund does provide value, but also you can have a conversation and say, well, so does Nolan Gorman, and he hits bombs. So why wouldn't they play him more? That's a conversation the Cardinals are going to have to try to figure out. It's interesting. They've got those decisions to be made between the middle infield of DeYoung, Edmund, Gorman, Brennan Donovan, certainly, as I continue to beat the drums, should play a role in that as they figure their roster for 2023. And then in the corner of the outfield, you have it as well with Newt Barr, O'Neill, uh, Dickerson won't be a factor next year. Alec Burleson could be a factor next year, and Jordan Walker could be a factor in the corner outfield next year as well. He's been learning the positions of the outfield in the minor leagues this season. So we'll, we'll end up seeing what that looks like as well for the Cardinals and for uh, the future of the team. But uh, that's kind of the breakdown of the game from Sunday. Again, 6-4 to four winners were the Cardinals. They end up maintaining that five-game lead in the division over the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, the Brewers finally did come up with a win over the Cubs on Sunday. Good for them. And good for the Cardinals, too, because the Cardinals are heading to Chicago now to face the Cubs for five games this week. They got a doubleheader as part of this uh, lengthy series. So you don't want the Cubs to be too hot when you're right in there. 69-51, and 51, the Cardinals' record. Nice. 8-2. and two. In their last 10, obviously, we know they've won seven in a row at this point, and they're five games up on the Brewers, who are 64 and 56. I got a tweet, and I don't remember offhand who it's from, but I can tell you the content of it, and if it was you, you'll go, oh, yeah, that was me. And so I'm apologizing for not having the credit, but somebody mentioned they'd like to hear me talk about the possibility of the Cardinals actually catching one of those other division leaders. The Dodgers, well, they're not going to be caught. They're 84 and 36. They are the Monstars. They are a super team. They have a winning percentage of 70% right now, 7-0-0. And Cardinals aren't catching them. Some quick math. The Cardinals are 15 games back of the Dodgers. That's not a a deficit they're going to make up. The Mets, you'd almost need to falter in terms of their pitching, but they're still playing very good baseball. The Braves are four behind the Mets, and the Cardinals may not even catch the Braves. Cardinals right now are uh, four and a half games behind the Braves. That's terrible math. I'm going to keep it in there. I'm not going to edit that. And the Mets are right now ahead of the Cardinals by eight and a half-ish. Yeah, eight and a half. Seven in the loss column, the Cardinals are behind. Ten in the win column, the Cardinals are behind. So that's eight and a half. I don't think that's really very likely that they would catch the Mets. It would have to happen by the Mets pitching just falling apart. And basically that means DeGrom or Scherzer are both getting injured, which I don't want to root for because those guys are too fun to watch. Very enjoyable. They, they, they are part of what makes the Mets legitimately dangerous this year in October. So what that means is I just want to make sure I discuss that aspect of it because you might hear, well, what's the wild card series? What's the playoff format this year? I'll reiterate it here. Six teams from each league, National American, are going to make it for a 12-team playoff. The first two teams from each league, they'll both be division winners, will get a bye into the NLDS or ALDS. Dodgers, right now with 84 wins, and the Mets at 79 are the two preeminent division leaders in the NL. And as I just mentioned, the Cardinals are 8.5 behind the closest one, which is New York. So if they don't pass New York... The Cardinals, even in winning the NL Central, will have to play a wild card series this year. Best game, best two out of three games. Uh, luckily for the Cardinals, those games, if they win the division, will end up at Bush Stadium. No travel for that. Play game one, play game two, play game three, all at Bush. Game three, if necessary. And it would come against the sixth seed, which is the third wild card team. 
the third ranked wildcard team in the league. Right now, the number one wildcard team is the Braves at 75 and 48. The number two ranked wildcard team per record is the Padres at 68 and 56. And then behind them in winning percentage is the Phillies at 66 and 65. The Brewers, as we speak, are a game and a half behind the Phillies for that third wildcard spot. So if the season ended today, the Brewers would not be in the playoffs and the Cardinals would be facing the Phillies for a best two out of three that would take place at Busch Stadium early October. I believe game one would be slated for October 7th. So that's the updated look at the playoff picture in the National League. Cardinals are sitting pretty right now, five games up. Definitely a possibility for them by the end of this month to perhaps be six, seven, eight games up. I do see that as plausible. They'll need to beat up on the Cubs this week. Maybe four or five would be nice. Three out of five would be decent enough, continuing to stay on the on the good side of of, of the 500 mark. And then you'll play uh, the Braves next weekend at Bush. That'll be a really interesting series as the Cardinals return home for that battle against a, a very competitive wildcard team and the defending world champs. I mean, the Braves did win it all last year. Don't forget that. So pretty good to uh, to see what that looks like coming up. And the Cardinals getting another chance to show their wares, show their progress against top teams. We saw it against the Yankees. It went really well. We saw it against the Brewers recently. It went pretty well. And it'll be another opportunity coming up next weekend for uh, the Cardinals to take on the Atlanta Braves. So that's kind of where everything stands right now. I want to end the show by mentioning the Adair Molina situation. He had his uh, business reasons, right, for going to Puerto Rico. And I talked about it yesterday. If it was for basketball, to me, that's kind of a joke. But is it surprising to anybody? Shouldn't be, because if you look at the way that his season has gone, he's gone to Puerto Rico multiple times. Uh, sometimes it was for a good reason. Uh, his son broke his arm, I believe, playing in a in a game, I think a baseball game or something of that nature, and needed a, a surgery, so he went there to be with his son. Totally cool. That was the bereavement list issue, which makes a lot of sense. Wouldn't have him be anywhere else, of course. The other time, had the knee injury. Yachty was down there for six weeks or so in Puerto Rico rehabbing. When he came back, they said he looks great. So it's obviously he was doing his work, right? But was was down there in Puerto Rico in the comfort of home, which is uh, what he wanted. And what are the Cardinals going to do? Tell him no? A lot of times guys rehabbing injuries spend their time at home. But if you recall, it kind of was like he was down there for a while and, and people were looking for updates. And it just took a while to get everything back off the ground, right? Well, in this case, it was just a two-day absence. Everybody knew what it was going to be. Going to be back for Monday at Wrigley Field, according to everything we've heard. And the business reasons, the personal matter, it was kind of a little bit up in the air what that was actually for. But I think if you're connecting the dots, and if you're looking at the picture that was posted by uh, the Vaqueros, I believe, the uh, the basketball team that, that Yachty is the owner of, they won their 16th championship on Saturday night. And Yachty was in a photo smoking a cigar with a uh, championship t-shirt that was posted to the official team Twitter account. So if there was any question what the business aspects of his uh, time in Puerto Rico this weekend were, I don't know that we have very many questions anymore unless he had some other business and also happened to catch a basketball game while he was down there. I did see on the post game uh, from a reporter that was there that he was on FaceTime with one of the players, but not actually on the court celebrating. But then the team posted to their official Twitter account a picture of Yachty. So I think Kat's probably out of the bag on what that was. Is it a big deal? You're uh, That's up to your discretion to decide if you care about that or not. The way things are going for the Cardinals, I don't think anybody's going to mind it. Um, I mind it just from the perspective of wanting to draw attention to it and saying, yeah, it's different. But at the same time, if you reverse engineer and recognize how these things come to be, Yachty wanted this last year. The Cardinals were saying, yeah, we're, we're glad to sell more tickets and have you back. Cardinals recognize in spring training that Yachty's, well, not there on time. I kind of forgot to mention that when I was dialing through his 2022 and how bizarre it's been. Yachty didn't come on time. Personal matter. Okay. What, you know, we don't know anything, but these personal matters, they're adding up for Yachty or, just the notion of being in 
Puerto Rico for six weeks, and the Cardinals being like, yeah, I wonder when Yachty's coming back, and that gets into the media, and people write columns about it, and that apparently spurs some action, and Yachty ends up getting an agreement with the Cardinals uh, that two days later, it's like, oh yeah, Ali Marmel's telling us that he's going to be back, and here are the dates where he'll begin a rehab assignment. It's all well and good. I don't have any issue with it if you don't, but I just think it's interesting uh, to bring up. A lot of people wanted to draw comparisons to the Arnado and Goldie situation with the vaccine. Um, one difference that I don't think I really touched on yesterday as much, and I wanted to make sure I clarified my my view on that today, is that Goldie and Arnado are the two best team players on the Cardinals. They're two best hitters on this team, and Yachty's having a, a, a low offensive season. But he does bring intangibles to the table, and he really does help with the pitching staff. So Yachty is is valuable in, in those instances for sure. Jose Quintana didn't have Yachty today, not to knock Andrew Kisner in any way. He had a base hit in the game. But it is uh, factual that Quintana didn't have Yachty behind the plate today and had been gushing about what it had been like to throw to Yachty after his last start. He had some very good things to say, which everybody does, but that's just kind of the way it is. Yachty will be back. This will be a story that gets forgotten. It's not a surprise to me at all that the Cardinals are basically saying, yes, Yachty, do whatever you want because it's easier for us. It's it's a headache if we have to go through a PR battle with you, but it's pretty clear that Yachty can, can sort of do what he wants at this point. And has he earned that? A lot of people would say that he has. Um, I Like I said, I'm not up in arms about it, but I think it's interesting and something that would, would have been worth talking about on the show. So we did last night, the update today, I'm mentioning the fact that he had a picture uh, with that post-game celebration Saturday night in Puerto Rico. So the update on that is uh, Yachty handled his business. The business matters are uh, now closed, it would appear. And like I said, there could have been some other aspects we didn't know about that he needed to be in Puerto Rico. I don't know. I'm just sharing the basketball part because I, I thought it was relevant. So that's all I really have to say about it. If you have more to say, at me, Schaefer12 on Twitter, you can DM me, send me a tweet, anything like that. We'd love to have your insight, your responses, your thoughts, your commentary on uh, the Yachty situation or anything else going on with the Cardinals. Appreciate you guys for listening. As always, that's going to do it for this edition of the show, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.